certainly there are plenty of Hollywood films that have at least an ambiguous attitude towards money. From Wall Street and Boiler Room to Syriana and There Will Be Blood, and yes, even The Muppets, many of its films about big business and corporations appear to suggest that money, to misquote the Bible, is the root of all evil. Which is very odd because as far as any industry is concerned, money equals success and what is wrong with success? Maybe it's a question of how much is enough. It's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Money itself isn't lost or made. It's simply uh, transferred from one perception to another. It's like magic. In terms of Hollywood, the reasons for the ambiguity can perhaps be traced to one of its greatest ambassadors, by which I mean a movie star. In this instance, when I say movie star, I mean one of the most instantly recognisable people on the planet, perhaps even in history. You see, I'm talking of a supernova so well known that to this day, people can still identify him, even though he's been dead over 35 years. And more than that, most people alive have never seen one of his feature films. He only made 10 of them. I'm talking about Charlie Chaplin. And yet, when I mentioned his name, you probably pictured not the man himself, but his alter ego, the little tramp. Chaplin's vagabond had holes in his boots, his trousers were patched together, and he wore a crumpled bowler hat that made a mockery of his penniless state. But the little tramp was more than just a costume. More than a picture of poverty, he was an icon, a hero, the champion of the working class, the guy who could poke a stick in the eye of the rich and get away with it. You know, you can't just go around and shoot people in the kneecaps with a double-barreled shotgun because you pissed at them. Why not? Just call the saw with a deadly weapon. You get 20 years for that shit. Listen, do you have any better ideas? Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that the best way you hurt rich people is by turning them into poor people. The genius of Chaplin's depiction of the rich was that we never saw how they came by their wealth. And, more than that, we never saw them do anything with it. They didn't produce anything, and they certainly didn't contribute anything. Instead, they just consumed. But with the enormous success and popularity of Chaplin's films, Hollywood realised there was a lot of money to be made for slapping a custard pie in the face of a millionaire. I am a millionaire. It's a weird thing to hear, right? I tell you, it's a weird thing to say. I am a fucking millionaire. I guess how old I am. 27. You know what that makes me here? A fucking senior citizen. This firm is entirely comprised of people your age, not mine. Lucky for me, I happen to be very fucking good at my job or I'd be out of one. You guys are the new blood. You're going to go home with the Kesson. You are the future big swinging dicks of this firm. Now, y'all look money hungry, and that's good. Anybody tells you money's the root of all evil doesn't fucking have any. When Wall Street crashed in 1929, so deep was the depression and so many were the people who lost their jobs that some countries abandoned democratic capitalism altogether. Around the same time, Chaplin's enormous popularity began to wane. But the two events are not linked in any way. Instead, what caused Chaplin's decline was that while Hollywood had converted to sound, he insisted on continuing to make silent movies. In other words, he didn't keep an eye on the changing times. You see this watch? That watch costs more than your car. I made $970,000 last year. How much you make? You see, pal, that's who I am, and you're nothing. In 1932, Franklin D. Roosevelt was elected president for the United States. He had campaigned to end the Great Depression, and within 100 days of his inauguration, he had signed into law 
the New Deal. This was designed to create jobs, allow unionization and provide social security. Hollywood got behind the drive and with the waning of Chaplin's star, the most visible supporter of the New Deal was a Sicilian-born immigrant, Frank Capra. In a phenomenal four-year burst in the 1930s, Capra won the Oscar for Best Director three times. Here he is in interview from 1972. The value of the individual, the, the divinity and the worth of the individual is against uh, the, the, the conforming herd and, uh, and <clears throat> how the individual had it within him to dig deep down in his innermost uh, 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 recesses and come up with the necessary wit and humor and courage to, to cope with his environment. And this was the problem. This is the, the theme of Mr. Deeds, probably the theme of most practically all the other pictures I've made after that. In films like Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Meet John Doe, and most memorable of all, It's a Wonderful Life, Capper showed a great empathy for not just the average citizen, but for the poor and the marginalised. Perhaps more than any other Hollywood film in any era, It's a Wonderful Life conveyed a deep egalitarian vision, where every individual is valued as an essential part of the community. In other words, the film espouses altruism. Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. For the next three decades that followed World War II, America's economy prospered. And given that the Cold War was bedding down for a very long stay, it is understandable that there was a noticeable absence of films continuing Chaplin's and Capra's point of view. To make a film advocating you keep an eye out for your neighbour was a risky thing, when your neighbour was probably keeping a very watchful and paranoid eye on you. Anything that whiffed of egalitarianism was considered un-American. And it wasn't until the 1970s that gradually there appeared a number of high-profile films, The Godfather and its sequel, The Towering Inferno, Network and Alien, each suggesting in their own way that the unbridled application of capitalism had the potential to pollute the mind, corrode the social fabric and ruin lives. How much are you worth? I have no idea. How much do you want? No, I just want to know what you're worth. Over 10 million? Oh, my, yes. Why are you doing it? How much better can you eat? What can you buy that you can't already afford? The future, Mr. Gitz. The future. Now, where's the girl? I want the only daughter I've got left. You found out Evelyn was lost to me a long time ago. By the time the former Hollywood actor Ronald Reagan was elected to the White House in 1980, there was emerging a new social animal, the yuppie. Admirably ambitious, but also narcissistically avaricious, these young urban professionals were brilliantly chronicled in print with the likes of Tom Wolfe's The Bonfire of the Vanities and Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho. I have all the characteristics of a human being. Flesh, blood, skin, hair. But not a single clear, identifiable emotion, except for greed and disgust. By the 90s, Chaplin's Little Tramp and Capper's John Doe were long gone. Worn-out boots were replaced by soft Gucci leather, patch-quilt pants were traded up for Hugo Boss suits, and instead of a cane, the all-important business card was the prop that defined your personality. So, 
Where does that leave Hollywood? Hollywood doesn't criticize capitalism, but rather carries the old message from the Old Testament. To quote from it fully, for the love of money is the root of all evil. What Hollywood films do is criticize naked greed and materialism. They create dramas about the personality types that exploit capitalism for their own selfish and hence socially destructive ends. Capitalism itself is neither selfish nor altruistic. It is neither evil nor virtuous. It can't be. Capitalism is just an idea. It is only ever the user who can abuse it. From Wall Street and Glengarry Glen Ross to Boiler Room and the recently released Arbitrage, these films expose our inability to enjoy capitalism responsibly. And if that sounds like an ad campaign, maybe it's because too many of us drank too much during the boom. Everybody wins. Yes. If we sell the company. It'll sell. If I lie for you. You don't have to lie. You didn't know about it. That's why I didn't tell you. I'm the chief investment officer of this company. What do you think they're going to say at the deposition? She didn't know. They'll take away my brokerage license, failure to supervise you, my name in every paper and blog while I visit your ass in jail. Did you want me to let our investors go bankrupt? Is that what you wanted? You wanted people to get really hurt. What gives you the audacity to think that you can go? No, because it's my job. Job. Yes. It's illegal. It's illegal. And I am your partner. You are not my partner. You work for me. That's right. You work for me. Everybody works for me. Hollywood is America's most important export. Through the magic of stories and the glamour of movie stars, it promotes two pillars of our modern culture capitalism and democracy. And where would we be without those two ideologies? To argue that Hollywood is intent on dismantling either of them is incorrect. No, what Hollywood endorses is the pursuit of happiness. If that happiness involves wealth, so be it. Just so long as that and the pursuit of it, other wider, deeper and farther reaching principles are not lost, like empathy, social awareness and a strong degree of humility. And the price of not understanding that lesson is pretty costly. I want to be a billionaire so fucking bad Buy all of the things I never had I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine